Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a brand new podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always, Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2017 film, Get Out. So this film, it follows a young man named Chris, and he is dating a white woman, and they've been together for about four or five months, and they're going for the weekend, going to meet her parents. And he's a little bit apprehensive because she hasn't told them that he's black, and he feels that there might be some uncomfortableness there. She assures them it's fine. And as he goes, you know, they hit, it's strange things start to happen. They hit a deer. And then as they go in, he meets the family. And he realizes that they have all these black servants. Or there's a maid working in the house. They have a guy that's there chopping wood and doing, you know, more gardening work, that kind of thing. And he realizes there's something strange going on. And not only that is... They make some, they, even though they pretend to not be racist, they make certain comments throughout that definitely makes him feel uncomfortable. The most famous one is, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could. And then there's this group of people, and they're kind of all acting the same thing. And basically he discovers, and it, interesting enough, this, this um, big plot was revealed in the trailer before the movie even came out. So, you know, that's spoils the movie for you before you even see it but it's revealed that they have been adopt doing this for many black men to use their bodies so they can use older relatives or for certain people control their body but their mind is being controlled by the people who control them so yeah. this one guy is a blind wannabe photographer who because chris is a photographer supposedly very acclaimed at what he does and he wants to take over it because he wants his eyes because this man is blind. Yeah. And it's also revealed that other people are using them for husbands, like the one guy we see abducted at the very beginning of the film, and now he's the husband of this for this much older white woman. And then we see the two groundskeepers are actually their grandparents, so they're gonna keep so they can keep going even after they've passed on in a different body. Right. Chris figures this out, he eventually escapes and he's been calling his friend from the TSA so the friend helps him get out that's pretty much the you know yeah overall basic yeah. premise yeah of the movie. I guess I should say uh just in terms of uh history of philosophy right uh, there's oddly enough the first area of intersection that I found watching the film was uh it's very close to some thought experiments that are pretty famous in in, in the 20th 20th century and 21st century uh, philosophy mind in that they have us consider what would be the case if um, uh, brain transplants were possible. And uh, that's basically what these people are doing. They uh, kidnap these uh, uh, people. Um, they're all black. The explanation is a funny one. I mean, they're, they're, it's he, in fashion. Black it's is in, in fashion. fashion and, 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 you know, there are certain kind of tropes of, you know, blacks being athletic and they want their athletic bodies and that kind of thing. Right. But um, the basic idea, though, is uh, they, they uh, the father is a neurosurgeon. Right. And he's been doing this for family members, including his own father, as we find out later in the film. His own father, his uh, the, the grandfather of Rose, the, the girl here who's the procurer, probably the most evil character in this film. 
<laughs> Although that's kind of hard to say. They're all pretty bad, but yeah. um, uh, in this family, I should say, not the film. Um, but um, um, what they do is they open up uh, the skull of the person who is aged, right? And uh, they take out um, uh, their, their, most of their brain, right? And then uh, open up the other person's, the younger person, the black younger person's brain. And they take that um, family member's brain and put it into the, to this other, this victim's body. And according to the explanation they give in the film, they have to leave enough of the victim's brain to allow that body to continue to function, the autonomic functions, while the uh, surgery is going on. And this is supposed to be enough left uh, to, to make it possible that that original person, so to speak, in that body can still be there, but in a kind of depleted state, which they call the sunken place, where they're kind of aware of what's going on, um, but can't do anything about it. There's a kind of paralysis. So it's, it's a unique, uh, as it were, variant on a, a good thought experiment from philosophy of the 20th century. Um, it sure looks like you've transplanted one person uh, uh, from one body into another, but you haven't totally evacuated that original body. There are now two people in there. And I, I don't know how, how uh, deeply um, Jordan Peele thought about it, but I know part of what he was trying to get us to think about perhaps is it's something we talked about in an earlier film, maybe the first one or second one we did, um, the hate you give, right? Mm -hmm. um, this kind of uh, sublimation, if you want to say, of, of one part of your personality or person uh, uh, for the sake of this other personality or person that kind of interacts with the, the majority world, so to speak. There, that theme was certainly in that film. It might be in this one, but very metaphorically. But uh, it's an interesting idea that, you know, the, the black person has the white kind of dominant personality inside the mm -hmm. body, right? Now, obviously, it's been imposed upon from the outside, so it's significantly different than the theme we, as we saw it in the, in the earlier film. But it's still kind of there, and I don't know how much he was explicitly trying to get us to think along those lines. Uh, I, I know... I know he certainly is wanting to to think about black-white relations for sure. I mean, it's the topic of the film. And there's certain key scenes there that are reminding us of things we did see in that other film. But on the other hand, I also think Jordan Peele, apparently, uh, from what I understand, he's just a horror buff and a TV buff. And he's done a heck of a job in this film, I think. of the, It's got the feel of a Rod Serling Twilight Zone episode. And I, yeah. I think he was shooting for that. Yeah, and what's it? Because actually, because he also hosts the new revamped version of the Twilight Zone. So there you go. There, but it's when I first heard about this because you and I were both familiar with Jordan Peele through the Key and Peele comedy sketch series, which ran for about four or five years, was on Comedy Central. Yeah. And even before he did that, he, him, and um, his comedic partner on that show, Keegan Michael Key, were both on Mad TV together. And that was like even 10 years before yes. they were on Keen Peel. So when I first heard about it, I'm like, 
the guy from Keen Peel is doing a straight up horror film? Is it gonna be like I was just assuming it's just gonna be this goofy comedy just because that's his you know, that's his background. Yeah. But then I walked but then it was getting great reviews and this was like, yeah, there's some comedic elements, but for the most part this movie is pretty serious. I mean, there's definitely a lot of funny parts of the movie, but it it, it really it's really just it kinda of blew me away because I did not expect this from the guy who does, you know, the Hingle McCringleberry sketches and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh I, I think it I think there's and this may be kind of a, a stretch, but I think there's a a connection in the skill sets that are necessary to do comedy and the skill sets that are necessary to do a good, scary horror movie. And probably the most important skill set is the ability to use timing. Timing is everything in comedy. If you if you if you if you wait a beat too long for your punchline, it'll fall dead. Jack Benny is very famous for saying this. George Burns as well. And you see comedic uh, teams that are so used to working with it, with each other and feeding off of each other's timings of lines that you realize if you just kind of read the script, it would strike you as very flat, unfunny, mm-hmm. boring. But when you see the teams do it, actually do the routines, they're hilarious. And Key and Peel were certainly that way. The timing was impeccable in most every sketch they ever did. And I think he's carried over that knack into that movie. Things are timed just right in that movie. The suspense starts building up. You think at first, oh, this is just going to be kind of an awkward black boyfriend meets white white uh, girlfriend's family movie and 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 that's all it's going to be but slowly the, the oddities pile up the the man out in the yard um uh walter who's the gardener acts very strange right uh georgina he sees her multiple times preening in front of the mirror and just looking at herself for minutes at a time odd and in the weird kind of fascination the family members have um the uh uh mother uh, missy who's also a psychotherapist right uh, the one that really sticks out is her obsession with the fact that um chris smokes time and again she says you you really should think about quit smoking you know i can hypnotize you to make you stop so the, the and and when the friends show up for this big party, all these white friends show up for this big party. Awkward questions. The one woman comes up and says, "You know, I really like your physique," and she squeezes his arm, and it just gets creepier and creepier. And you know, it's something way beyond uh, just mere awkwardness—the white black awkwardness. Mm-hmm. There's something sinister going on here, and he builds that suspense up quite well. Uh, and then I didn't see the trailer, so I didn't. I wasn't the the ending wasn't spoiled for me. I you know I I kind of thought well you know um, his 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 friend Rod Williams, a TSA agent, got it right. They're hypnotizing these people so they they can use them as slaves. I thought oh that's where this is going. And and then the uh, you know I thought you know Georgina and 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 Walter were just hypnotized and that's how come they act so strange, uh, and then it, 
at the point where he tries to take the picture of uh, Logan King, who is actually a kidnapped victim, Andre Hayworth. Yes. We don't find that till later. But he takes a picture of the guy because he's acting awkward. He's acting very kind of like an old white man, right? Mm-hmm. And he's dressing like an old white man. Oh, and by the way, he's boyfriends with an old white woman who's yeah. substantially older than he is. And it's just weird. It strikes him as very strange. He's not able to interact with this guy in any kind of a way you'd expect uh, black men of similar age to be able, be able to interact. So he thinks, boy, that's weird. I'm going to take a picture of this guy. And he's intending to send this to his TSA agent friend, Rod. Takes a picture, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, Logan reacts strangely. You see his eyes kind of flash. There's some light in the eye. His and nose his bleeds. nose bleeds. Yeah. And he kind of goes berserk. But he says, get out, get out, get out. At that point, I knew it wasn't just simple hypnotism. But I couldn't figure out what it was. And then, you know, we get to the end of the film where it's brain transplant places. And I'm going, wow, this is great. I did not see that coming. What's just interesting about this movie with these, you know, these antagonists is that when you think, oh, black guy meeting the white family and the family's weird or is acting strange to him, you think... Oh, well, they're going to be from the South. They're going to be racist. He's going to look around and they have Confederate flags everywhere. Or they just say, you know, you're a great stuff like you're a good example of your race or just something blatantly just over the top racist. Yeah. But this isn't these people. They consider themselves, you know, good intentioned white people. One of the first things he, you know, the main thing is I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could. He makes note to say that, how he was the best president of his lifetime. Yeah. He go and then he shows him around his dad. He's like, yeah, my dad lost to Jesse Owens. Now, it wasn't Jesse Owens great going out there and beating Hitler in front of all that Nazi. And he's just... And then and everyone else is kind of around that same thing. Like one guy's asking about golf. He's like, no, I knew Tiger Woods, right? Tiger was a great player. Yes. And it's just all of these things. Once again, it's not just blatantly, we're just going to call him the N-word or just going to yeah. say blatantly racist stuff. It's just these subtle things, but it's digging at him. You can kind of say when... Even when yeah. um, his, you know, it's at night and his, and his girlfriend Rose is like, and why did my dad say that? And he just goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can just tell he's like, I told you. Yeah, because at the beginning of the film, he 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 told her that she should have informed them beforehand that he was black. Uh, also, Rod Williams at the beginning of the story tells Chris, you know what, you shouldn't go there. You should not go there. And it's great when they revisit that at the end. Yeah. He gets back in the car after being rescued, and Rod goes, I told you. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, but that's an element of it. You you wonder. You wonder why they're being so obsequious with him in regards to him being black, but also with historical black figures. And you know the proper response isn't, well, they're just trying to make him feel comfortable and doing a great job of making him feel uncomfortable in the process because they want they want him to uh, be accepted in their family. They want him to feel comfortable with, with his uh, Rose, his fiance, you know that's not it, because it's they're laying it on a little too thick for that. And he's also done a good job directing those 
actors, you can kind of see that they've been told, look at him as if while you're saying these things, you're trying to evaluate whether or not he's getting sucked in by it because you want him to be sucked in, right? Mm -hmm. So it gives you that feel, even though you don't know yet, it's relatively early in the film, there's a nefarious purpose there behind that obsequiousness. Um, and, you know, we find out later what the purpose is. It's, it's horrible. Um, but that, that, that's, a, a, that's a good point to bring that up. And it's a, it's a very effective. And that's, that's what gives the, the thing its Twilight Zone feel. You know, there are certain episodes of the Twilight Zone where you don't know exactly what's going on with these people. And your protagonist is surrounded by these people. Um, they outwardly seem to be very nice, but there's that sinister undercurrent, and, and that's happening here. Now, having said that, um, I did not detect the sinister undercurrent at all with the girlfriend. You know, I, I bought for a while that she she was unlike the rest of her family. And um, it turns out she was just a very good actor. The, the character, not necessarily the actress, she is too. But I'm just the character is a very good actor, and had him fooled, had had I think has the audience fooled until he looks in that closet and her little uh, collection box of uh, mementos, and he looks in that box, and then lo and behold, there are a bunch of pictures of her with. Uh, previous boyfriends. There's one picture of her with Georgina, another one with uh, Walt, Walter. Um, they're all black, and she's with them and hugging them and everything. And at that point, n- not only does Chris know something's up sinister with her as well, but it, for me at any rate, as the mm-hmm. person watching the film, that's the point when I thought, oh, oh, she's in on it too. Right? Yeah. And it's just interesting how you know, like I said, with those white family that says it goes out of the way to show how totally not racist they are, but by still making them feel uncomfortable, it reminds me of the movie Malcolm X. When Malcolm X is doing one of his speaking events, this woman who she says, you know, I'm a white woman comes up and says, is someone and I'm very liberal. I'm definitely not a racist. Is someone is someone like me who's definitely not racist, Mr. Malcolm X? What is there any? Is there anything I can do to help civil rights or whatever? And Malcolm X looks at her and says nothing, and he just walks away from her. And like that's kind of how these the, that family is. Yeah, know? yeah. And it, it you know he does all these subtle little things of just with, in the movie. Like one of the things is after they hit the deer. They have, they go they they call the police and they have they talk with the cop and she's talking with the police and it looks like they're about to wrap up but then he goes to um, Chris and says sir can I have your driver's license you yeah know, he was in the passenger seat he wasn't driving the car and he he just automatically gets it pulls out is about to hand it to him yep you know and she and she says she's saying wait why are you doing this he didn't drive the car he didn't do anything wrong why, why do you even need to see his license and then. He's going to her. Says, it's okay. It's okay. You can tell because he's had to deal with yeah. this before. It's gonna. It's gonna be a lot easier and a lot quicker if I just give him the freaking license and we can be on our way. And that see, that's one of those scenes where it made me think Rose is Rose is Rose is a good guy in this film because she does stand up for him. And, and 
And, but it makes she's, you. Think, she's right about it, right? Yeah, it makes yeah. you think either a she's doing that to you know prove like how cool she is and how loyal she is to her boyfriend, but also if he had to check his license, wouldn't that have to be run through a system? Meaning there's some sort of record that you know that the police and so. If he goes missing, then the police are like, hey, he was. I just saw him with his girlfriend. Uh, yeah, so I'm good point. He's not, she's not trying to leave good a paper point. trail. Yes, yes, yeah. good point. Because at that point in the film, it's early, very early on. Uh, uh, I certainly didn't read it that way, but with hindsight, mm-hmm. you realize, yeah, she's thinking ahead because she's. I won't say the most cold and calculating person in the film, but uh, I think uh, uh, Peel goes it puts a little extra effort into showing her coldness and her calculation that scene where uh after we figure out what the hell's really going on right um where she's in her room eating fruit loops yeah. and drinking milk Keeping which is th- whites and colors separate yeah. which is just hilarious yeah. uh with what was the name of the song that was playing uh time of my life the time of my life song and then in the background there's pictures. She's got like a trophy wall. Yeah. Pictures of all of those uh, um, uh, black individuals that she's managed to suck into this family's um, um, uh, sick project, right? And boy, that's that encapsulates that particular character. It just shows how cold and uncaring she is. And even as she's dying in the street, you know... Uh, I, she seems to show some genuine love for Chris. By that point, I'm not buying it. I am not buying it. I, I think that's some attempt at uh, a manipulation yes, or trying to manipulate. Even though she's near death, right? Um, but very good point to point out that, you know, uh, with hindsight, that scene with that cop has... Two possible interpretations. <laughs> yeah. And it's playing into that cop because you see at the end, because he tries to call 911, but he, st- he hangs up because he hits Georgina. And you see this police car coming at the very end, and you're going, oh, oh no. boy. And you're th- and automatically thinks of the ending of the first uh, Night of the Living Dead, George Romero, when the um, last surviving member is this African-American he goes out and he you know it's the group that's been hunting off and killing all the zombies they automatically think he's a zombie and shoot him and they just move on yeah You're and you can it's going for that ending but then it's it's his buddy uh rod williams the tsa and yeah he rescues him at the day and then rod williams tells you know we're the yeah. tsa this is what we do <laughs> which is still it's just so funny the greatest line and then, um, um well, that that scene is awesome that yeah. scene is awesome because you don't know that it's Rod driving up in his TSA cop car. And uh, you can see that Chris is thinking, oh, boy, what's this cop looking at and how is he going to interpret it? I'm in trouble. I better put my hands up right away with the hope that I can explain what happened. What's what's around him? Dead white girl. Shotgun. Uh, there's a dead woman in the car and uh, another dead uh, man. It's... Uh, Walter, right? Also, all with gunshot wounds, and I'm alive. They're going to, he's going to assume I just did this, right? So he's, he's already making plans. I've, I've got to do what I can to make sure I'm not, 
it's, it's, even if it is read incorrectly, I can correct the misinterpretation. Um, and so that builds that tension up for you. And you think, boy, this is going to be an unhappy ending to this movie. And then you get that not only sense of relief for, for Chris and from your own point of view watching the end as Rod steps out of the car. It's a little bit of a comic relief, too, in that um, uh, uh, Rod had gone to the real police and told them the story. And you, you see the three cops, I think it is, behind the desk listening to the story. They're all black, uh, by the way. And you think, man, they're going to they're gonna do something about this. But they just break up laughing. And the one woman says, see, I told you, I, don't tell me I can't find you some good stories here or something mm-hmm. like None of them believe it because it sounds too far-fetched, obviously, yeah. right? Um, yeah, that, the great tension there between, as we was explored in, in the, that earlier film, um, uh, The Hate You give. give, between cops' interpretations and black uh, people on the scene of a crime. Uh, it's played very well in this film those two times. Really like it. It's interesting when you talk about that ending, because originally Peel wanted a completely different ending. He wanted a realistic ending. And you can actually, they filmed it, and you can actually watch it on, I think, on YouTube or wherever. But in this one, the cops do come. Uh, Chris is arrested. And we see Rod come meeting him in prison through the phone. And he's, you know, he's basically saying, I'm just glad I stopped them from doing this to other people. I'm, you know, I'll take the, I'll take the punishment. I know what it looks like. I know there's no hope for me, but I'm just glad I stopped this. That's definitely more pessimistic ending. But I think what Peel said, he wanted to have something more optimistic, just for an optimistic message, you know, didn't want the movie to end on such a dour note. Yeah. And. If I remember too, and I'm just, I, I, I probably shouldn't bring it up because I can't remember the specifics of it. I think there was even a third ending he was thinking of where Rod shows up at the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, he sees Chris, but then Chris is doing that same speaking. He's yes. like, I have no idea who you're talking and about. That would have been the Twilight Zone ending, yeah. by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of, I, I, just because I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for happier endings, I kind of like the one he picked, but I like the fact that he kind of melded the unhappy with the happy ending, building mm-hmm. that suspense with the showing up of the cop car and you not knowing it's Rod and thinking he's going to either he's going to be killed like like uh, the main character in uh, Oh Night of Living Dead. Yeah, you think he's going to have that fate of the main character in, in Night of the Living Dead, uh, but it doesn't happen. Right, mm-hmm. um, so I, I like the I like the combination of the the almost negative ending and the actual positive ending. All right, we're, so we're getting close to the end of my questions here. Is there anything else I want to bring? One thing I got to bring up because yeah, Rod Williams is a TSA agent. There was a, one of the better Key and Peele sketches was a thing where the where this bunch of terrorists are getting together with their ideas, but they've all been. Screwed up because the TSA's regulations. They keep saying the TSA did it again. So I'm wondering <laughs> if Jordan Peele has a thing with the TSA. I don't know, but it is so funny because that that particular sketch. You know what's hilarious about it is the terrorist group thinks thinks the TSA is this incredibly yeah. competent and almost omniscient organization, and most of us here on the other side 
of the TSA agents uh, have a, a, a rather more cynical view of them and uh, uh, a rather more cynical view of their ability to actually um, uh, thwart. <laughs> That's what's so great about that uh, uh, comedy uh, bit. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds. For each episode, I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Sing so long and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.